Ruth chapter 1. If you haven't read the book of Ruth, you need to read the whole thing. It's a short book. Basically, what you're going to get out of, of it, if you're thinking, is God's sovereignty and God's love for all mankind. Look at Ruth chapter 1. And uh, I think uh, we're going to just begin with verse 6, okay? Now, in the first few verses, it tells who, who it's about. Ruth and her husband are two sons. They flee uh, Bethlehem uh, in Judea because of a famine. They go to the land of Moab. Uh, they live there 10 years. Her husband and her two sons dies. And we pick up the story in verse 6 with these words. Then she, speaking of Ruth, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from that place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went out on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you may find rest in each uh, the house of her husband. So she kissed them and lifted up. they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said, surely we will return to you, to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. And even if I should have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should bear sons, would you wait for them until they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah, I have to be careful not to say Oprah. Think about it. Okay. Kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. She said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, and we use these in weddings, some of the most famous words in the Bible. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And most importantly, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Let's pray. Father, it is so good to be in your house. And, Lord, to celebrate that Jesus is alive. He's working in our lives, in our church, in our communities. You're so gracious to us to allow us to be here. Many in the nursing homes or at work or traveling couldn't be here today, and they would love to be here. And, Father, we celebrate your gift of mothers to us. Because, as Brother Ronnie says, it is the closest thing to the grace we see in you. And, Father... Will you still our hearts and minds clear and understandable way? And Father, let us do what you would have us to do today. There are some that need to accept Jesus Christ publicly as their personal Lord and Savior. Others need to join the church and put their life and their work here in your kingdom. Some need to come in rededication or other uh, decisions. But Lord, you be glorified. And when we leave this place...
we can say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I found out very early uh, as a pastor that uh, newlyweds have some problems. And the top three problems, and counselors have named these out. This is nothing original to me. The top three problems that young couples face, first of all, is finances. Secondly, is sexual adjustment, being married to each other. And thirdly, is in-law relationships. And unfortunately, the brunt of the in-law that bears most of those things is the mother-in-law. Too many jokes about mother-in-laws. And I, I think that's sort of sad. One, one nitwit said it this way, It may be the mother's hand that rocks the cradle, but the mother-in-law rocks the boat. And that's not the way it should be because God gave us mother-in-laws and made some of you mother-in-laws to influence folks. You see, everybody needs to remember that once you get married, there's going to be different relationships. You, you, you're in a whole new family. Once you get married, you'll understand better once you have children on why your in-laws are so worried about their child you married. But we need to understand that there are difficulties in the relationship. Most women will be a mother or mother-in-law in in some form. You might have children or grandchildren. They'll grow up and get married. You may just have nieces, cousins, neighbors, church kids that you need to mother. But they need you to do exactly that. Be a mother to them. Not everyone has fond memories of their mother and they need you especially In the mentoring process. You see, godly women can be a mighty influence for God. For good. A godly woman influences the next generations for God. A godly woman impacts eternity for God. We can say the same thing about men. Naomi, as a mother-in-law, is a worthy example In at least three respects. The first one is this. Naomi is a good model in this. The consistency of her testimony. The consistency of her testimony. She was consistent with who she believed and what she did and how she lived. Now, this shows up. If you remember the historical background, what's happened, as I said earlier, was that there's been a famine. So her husband and And his name means God is my king. So he was probably a godly man. Her husband and her and her two sons, they moved to Moab because there's food there. Now the word is sojourn. They meant to be there a little while. But as they sojourned, it changed to 10 years. And during that time, she lost her husband. But she still had her two sons. And they took Moabite women as their wives. That was strictly against Levitical law. And then, lo and behold, she's there. And at some point during that 10 years, towards the end, because she's there 10 years, and we're assuming that this all happened, in that 10-year period, her two sons die. One of her sons' names means uh, to whine, and the other one means to basically be weak, so they were not the healthiest of kids. And she's left there with her two daughter-in-laws. And to us, we wonder what that means. See, they didn't have a Social Security system. They didn't have a way to take care of ladies. Ladies, women didn't work out in the open. They, they worked at the home. And who took care of you was your 
husband until he died, and then your children. There was no Social Security. So she's in a desperate fix for food, for shelter, for money to live on. And she's left there with her two daughter-in-laws. That's the background of the story. We need to get that. Nobody was offering a handout. What's she going to do? But you see, she changes her name to Mara, which means bitterness. Naomi means joy. And she decides to go home. But even in this, she's been a good witness. How do I know that? Because the best thing that Ruth says when she refuses to leave there in verse 16. She starts that off and says, I don't want to leave you. I'm not going back from following you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you lodge, I go. Your people should be my people. And your God, my God. Now listen, the Moabites had the Chemosh as their God. They burned sacrifices to him. They burned their children to him. It was a pagan deity. But when she says, your God shall be my God... Evidently, Naomi had been witnessing to her because it's not the Canaanite term for a god. It's not the regular term for some kind of god. It is the covenant name of the one true God as he revealed himself to Moses. And she says, "My, your God, Jehovah, or Yahweh more in the Hebrew, shall be my God, Yahweh. It's her conversion. She realizes the one true God. She has watched this lady for 10 years. She's been in this relationship. She's been consistent in her testimony about who God was, what he had done for for her family, what he had done for the Israelite nation. She'd been consistent in saying, this is the one true God, not the one you grew up worshiping. And evidently, the testimony had stuck as far as Naomi did because she says, no, no, I'm not staying here in this land even though it's not my home. I'm not staying here where they worship false gods. I'm not staying here where they burn children in sacrifice. Wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you lodge, I lodge. Where Whoever your people are, they're my people. And most importantly, your God is my God. What a testimony. Do we understand that? You see, home is often the most difficult place to witness. Home is often the most dis, dis, difficult place to live out our faith. We didn't say religion, say relationship, say faith. Because we mess up. They know it. They remember it. But you see, that's exactly where we're supposed to start with our witness. My mother was not perfect. Growing up, she had a handful with three little girls and one wild boy. I saw a t-shirt that I'm going to get, uh, Rebecca. It says, uh, support wildlife, raise boys. Mm -hmm. And I was that kid. Now, Brother Ronnie, telling me what I'd done wrong didn't affect me at all. Okay. I was like Van Jr., you better get the belt and get it quick, okay? And that didn't do a whole lot. But even though my mother wasn't perfect, she still is the greatest influence on my life. My father was not saved till I was a high school senior. And then I knew more about God than he did. So there wasn't that godly influence from a man in my life. But what I'd learned about God, what I'd learned about the Bible... What my mother did was sit us on the couch at night and read us the Bible and tell us what it meant. That's my earliest recollection. 
was her holding my baby sister in one hand and the Bible in her other hand. And I'm five years older than my baby sister. And so she's a baby. So I'm somewhere around five years old and mama reading us out of the Bible. Not only that, but uh, she told me birds of a feather stick together. In other words, you're going to be just like your friends. And she didn't like most of my friends. And so what she determined to do was that if I was going to pick that kind of friend, she was going to get them saved. And she'd pray for them and she'd witness to them. And, and pretty soon I had all kinds of friends hanging out, but they were hanging out and they were Christians now. And so there I was. That's what mama did. Ladies, sometimes you have to lead the way. Sometimes your husband is stubborn. Sometimes they might not be as godly. Don't give up on them. Don't leave them. Pray for them. Even my daddy got saved and became a godly man. And we have a wonderful relationship now when we had none growing up. And he'll call me and we'll pray together. He'll call me and we'll read a little scripture together. And and he likes that and I love it. And you see, there is hope. So don't give up. Keep being consistent in your witness. Don't stop mothering. You see, your testimony for Christ comes across so loud and clear with your love for us and for others and for Jesus that nobody can argue with that kind of love. If we think about who was the greatest influences, it was usually a lady Sunday school teacher. Or it was usually a a lady who just loved on us when nobody else loved on us. I've shared before, I grew up always on the wrong side of the tracks. In whatever town we were in. And so a lot of churches didn't want me there. Except I always had. And every church God put me in. He had some lady Sunday school teacher. That loved on me despite who I was. Even as a youth. Our, our, our lady who, who nobody else would work with the youth. And she just got in there. And she figured out if she could handle me. The rest of them fall in line. That's a terrible testimony. Isn't it? <laughs> but she could handle me. She just loved on me. Until I started straightening up. By the time we had gone through the youth group a year together, I stuck and and I made sure that whatever she wanted done, I was going to do. That's your power. That's your witness. Don't give up on that. Don't abandon that. Don't throw that away. A godly woman influences the next generation for good. You impact eternity for good. You see, those ladies who influenced me, my mother and others, they have a direct line in my ministry. Everybody that's saved, and I'm hoping a few more before I go, they had a part in. Those of you that have influenced me, you have a part in. Those of you that influenced Matthew growing up, and he's now a children's minister. can't imagine Matthew being a children's minister, but, but he's a big old boy, and he, 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 he's going to be with us at church camp, and I'm excited. And Galen graciously allowed that to happen, and I appreciate that. But, but everybody that influenced him when he's here growing up, and you were his Sunday school teachers, you were his uh, teen kid teachers, you were in the youth with him, have a part in that ministry where kids are being saved. Do you see your influence? Start realizing that. Pray about it. Keep your testimony clear. Ruth did. You can too. The second way that Ruth uh, was a good example is this. was the constancy of her care. The constancy of her care. 
Now, what do I mean by that? You see, there was a pleading for their best interest. Does that make sense? A pleading for their best interest. Here she is getting ready to go in that verse 8. They're uh, mourning. They want to go with her. There's lots of squalling and bawling going on. If you hadn't seen a good squalling and bawling fest, all of us need to do it every once in a while. Not in a mean way, in a good way. And one leaves and one stays and clings. But Ruth gives the example. Now think about it. If they leave, she's all alone. If they leave, she's on her own. If they leave, she has to face everything, the difficulty she's going to experience by herself. But she pleads because she says, y'all can still young enough. Y'all can find another husband. Y'all can, y'all can be happy and raise families. Y'all can, y'all can experience all that my God has for you. So you don't follow me. You stay here. Go back to your, your daddy's house because you're, you're free now. Your husband is gone. And you'll be still a, a good woman, a good candidate for marriage. She says, do that. And she pleads for their interest. You see, they could find one there. Ruth was the exact opposite of something we say. Misery loves company. You know, somebody's miserable, they love somebody else that's miserable. You know, when you're in one of those moods, you don't like bright, cheery people. We had one, we had one on the trip I made, and he woke up at 4.30 every morning, started making coffee, knocking on our doors to get us up, and he was smiling and grinning from ear to ear. And then he'd be singing hymns. Oh, my goodness. At 4.30 in the morning before I had coffee. But I ended up enjoying it. That's the kind of person he was. He wanted to make sure we were okay and we had what we needed. Are we that kind of people? And then she's an example of care and the constancy of it because she gave up a sure thing. Here's what I mean. She goes there to Bethlehem. She does not discourage Ruth about Boaz. She says, he's a kinsman redeemer. That means you can redeem him. He'd marry him and they'd raise up somebody. Even if Ruth left her, she wanted Ruth to be taken care of. Ruth could stay there and, and work hard and make sure they had food and take care of her. And you'd think she wanted to cling to that. But she said, no, God is working in this. Watch what God does in this situation. She's willing to give it up for somebody else's benefit. See, do we stand for self or do we invest in others? H.G. Wells, on doing a, a book on Napoleon and his life, said that if you got to the end of Napoleon's life, well, the saddest thing was this. In the end, he stood only for himself. And if we're selfish and try to grab a hold of things and try to control things, we need to understand that we stand only for ourselves. And there's some things in our care, we care enough for others to want the best for them, even if it means not the best for us. It's God interest rather than self-interest. And that's the hardest thing in America because we think everything's supposed to be our way. It's supposed to bless us. It's supposed to bless me, mine, and ours rather than the blessings over there, God. Why why are they blessing and I'm not? We should be rejoicing with that blessing. We should be telling them how wonderful it is. We should be praying that God would bless others around us. Here's how that shows up. In your prayer time, do you spend more time praying for others than yourself? 
You put others' needs and concerns above your own. Now, get me. I want you to hear me. I don't want you to walk out of here without hearing this. I'm not saying don't pray for God for your interests. Did everybody hear that? Okay, okay, let's get a little bit louder. Did you hear that? It's not selfish to pray for what you need. Don't think it is. Just pray that God's will is done. But the majority of our prayer time should be for God's glory and other folks. It should be that God will gain glory in whatever situation we're praying for. Do remember to pray for our military folks? Do remember to pray for our missionaries? Do you remember to pray for our church folks that are experiencing all kinds of problems? Do we do you remember to pray for the lost? Do we remember other folks? Naomi didn't think about herself first. She thought about the daughter because she changed their names before they left from daughter-in-laws to daughters. My daughter, my daughters, y'all need to go home. My daughters, y'all need to stay here. My daughters, don't come with me. God's hand is against me. Because it starts out describing his daughter-in-laws, but when she addresses them, she had adopted them as her own. My daughters, don't do this. Even though it's the best for me, think about yourself. You see, godly love is unselfish. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says that when it says, love seeketh not its own. So what kind of love are we practicing as Christians, men or women? The last thing, Ruth or Naomi was a good example that she was committed to strong family relationships. She was committed to strong family relationships. You see, I've already said it. She took them as her own. The in-law part was dropped off. Okay. Now I'm going to stop right there and remember what I said. Mother-in-law should not be a bad thing. My mother-in-law was a gracious lady. She was so gracious that before we got married, I told you Elizabeth was 45 minutes late to the church. I thought she wasn't going to show up. I was sweating bullets. When she finally showed up and they said, she's she's here, she's here, she's in the back in the bridal room. I snuck back there and, and I just wanted to hear, make sure I could hear her voice. Here's what I heard. Elizabeth, that's my mother-in-law. Elizabeth. It's not too late. You don't have to do this. (laughs) I wanted to open the door and say, Elizabeth, you do too. And I saw her whisper and I could read her lips as she started to come down the aisle and left Elizabeth and be seated. And she says, it's not too late. (laughs) Now, I had a choice. Let that be the perception of my mother-in-law or love my mother-in-law. Because I loved Elizabeth, I loved my mother-in-law. But she became a great asset. Within 10 years, she said, I think you're going to make a good husband. Not our good husband. You're going to make a good husband. Before she died, she said, you are a good husband. Keep taking care of my baby. And she'd pray for me and pray for Elizabeth and pray for the kids. Oh my goodness, I miss those prayers. She's the one that made me start saying short prayers before meals. If you eat with me, catch up on your prayer time on your time. Because grandma would pray till the food got cold. But you see, strong 
family relationships. See, my in-laws did that for me. Called me son. They didn't have any sons. They had four daughters. You talk about getting gray hair. Brother Creese turned gray at 30. And I said, why did you turn gray so fast? He said, you ever had four daughters, a female dog, and a female duck? But he believed in strong family relationships, and she believed in it. Naomi did it. And when you get to the end of the book, Naomi reaps what she had sown. Because Ruth and Boaz get married. They have a son, Obed, who became the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, who was ultimately the father of the lineage of Christ. And Naomi is a, a part of that heritage Because she loved her daughter-in-law slash daughter. And in the end of the book, they say, Naomi is better to you than seven sons. We know that this child will take care of you in your old age, whatever happens to Naomi. Or whatever happens to Ruth. Okay? Let's put it this way. J. Allen Peterson has written a lot of books on marriage. And he was asked... Are good marriages made in heaven? He answered honestly, I don't know if good marriages are made in heaven, but all the maintenance work happens here. And so, my encouragement, ladies, work on your family relationships. You're often the glue that holds everything together. I mean, that's just the truth. Men, you should have said amen and scored some brownie points on Mother's Day. But you see, all of us need to work on family relationships because we reap what we sow in those relationships. An example of mothering. An example of being a prayer warrior. An example of being a witness. An example of care. That is Naomi in the book of Ruth. Now I want you to bow your heads and I have a few questions. Bow your heads and close your eyes. What would be your testimony? A consistency of witness, a caring soul, somebody who builds up strong relationships and wants them to be their own relationships and not tied together? Or were you somebody who causes strife and division and somebody who doesn't care about those things? If you're here this morning and you don't have a witness because you've never accepted Jesus Christ, Publicly as your personal Lord and Savior, you need to come this morning and do that. If you're here and you want to be a better witness in your home, you need to come and surrender to that and rededicate your life to Christ. If you're here and you don't have a church family, but God has been impressing upon you that this is where you're supposed to be, you need to come and surrender to that. If you're here and you need to pray for others, Be that prayer warrior. You need to come and lay their names at the altar of Jesus right here in this church. We're going to stand in just a moment after I pray. Brother Ronnie's going to lead us a hymn of invitation. I want you to come as you need to come. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for godly women and mothers that you've put in our lives. And Father, we just ask that your will and only your will will be done right now. And the decisions that need to be made for Jesus will be made for his honor and for his glory alone. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.